Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. Yes, we are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell, and we're also going to have a special guest today, the godfather of Pistols Firing blog, Kyle Porter, the original creator of that blog that uh, has been with us now since 2011. He's going to hop on a little afternoon and give his thoughts. He's been uh, busy covering golf, just like Colby a little bit, but uh, I'm interested to hear Kyle's takes on Oklahoma State football, we've missed chatting with him, and it's going to be great just to catch up with him. But uh, before he gets on, Colby, uh, welcome to the live show. If you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, If you're listening on our audio platform, we appreciate you tuning in whenever you can. But, uh, yeah, we are live on a Sunday at noon, recapping what was an instant classic. I mean, Oklahoma State has played some really amazingly dramatic games against Texas over the years. This one vaults. Right up near the top. I don't know where it ranks. It's always hard to judge those right after the fact, Colby. But you were there. Uh, what was it like inside that stadium? Because it was just a thriller by the minute. Yeah, it was It was awesome. It was a great college football atmosphere. Mike Gundy talked about it after the game. Pom-poms waving in the student section. Nobody left. Nobody left. I mean, homecoming. A lot of times you get homecoming. If the game's not great, not close, whatever, then the homecoming stuff gets announced. And and the Greek-like people head out. And I get it. They're exhausted. The all-night pomping and all that stuff they do to put homecoming together. Not a single one of them left their seats. It was, it, it was not bedlam loud from last year. But it was as loud as I've heard it for a non-Bedlam game in a long time. It, it's Bedlam's different, but that game yesterday stood out from all the rest that are non-Bedlam. It really does for a lot of reasons. And I'm, the, the comments are filling up. Fire them off. We'll get to as many as we can as we go throughout the show. Uh, my first kind of just overall reaction to the game before we dive into, you know, how the first half played out, how the second half played out, and all the things that occurred was just, you know, pregame Colby, the the injury report came out. And Oklahoma State's missing five to six starters based on how you view Harper. He was a starter to begin the season. And Sanders, we as we all know, has been banged up. In years past, not even that long ago, I want to say, playing a bunch of freshmen, missing that many starters, Oklahoma State just did not have the depth to overcome that, especially facing a team that has the depth that is Texas and all the athletes they have year in, year out. I was blown away at how much depth Oklahoma State had at really seemingly every position because they were dropping like flies throughout the game. And uh, just that's, that's a game, Colby, that in years past, you're missing five, six starters. You don't really have much of a shot. Uh, no, you don't. And that was – when we stopped, Carson, we were on our way to Stillwater. We stopped right there where 51 and 35 meet. Uh, stopped at the gas station. I checked my phone. I see the injury report. And I actually typed out a tweet amending my score prediction. I picked Oklahoma State to win on 41-37. So it ended up being pretty close. And I thought to myself after that injury report, that's not going to happen. I typed up the tweet. And I was about to send it. And then I thought to myself, hold on, hold on. You didn't pick Oklahoma State to win that game because of anybody other than the quarterback. You said if Spencer Sanders plays, this is a game that for whatever reason, Oklahoma State will will itself to victory. And Carson, those injuries, that's three senior starters on defense, not just starters. Those are three senior starters on defense for homecoming for one of the biggest games of the year. Thomas Harper, uh, Brendan Evers, and then um, 
Why did I just go brain dead on the, the third starter that Oklahoma State was missing? Brock Martin. Yeah, Brock Martin. Yeah. About Brock Martin. yeah. Uh, three senior starters defensively. Preston Wilson is out again. Uh, the snaps were once again an issue. It's just it was it just felt like it was one thing after another for Oklahoma State. And Carson, I'll be honest, middle of the second quarter of that game yesterday, I didn't think Oklahoma State had any business winning that game. None whatsoever. Texas looked bigger. They looked faster. They looked stronger. They looked like they were just doing everything that they needed to do right. They're running these guys out, just swinging guys out wide in the flat, and nobody's taking them. Just easy touchdowns. And yet still, with all the mistakes Oklahoma State made in the first half, got a pump blocked, missed a field goal, just the total breakdowns in coverage, threw an interception going into the end zone, which was just a, a really bad time for that to take play. That little sequence, you miss Braylon, who's wide open on the slant on first down, throws behind him, very next plays an interception. All those mistakes, even the injuries, you're still only down seven at halftime. It just felt like one of those games where Texas had a chance, Carson, to put Oklahoma State away in the first half and go up by three touchdowns, and they couldn't do it. And they let Oklahoma State stick around, and then we saw who was the tougher team in the second half. Yeah, and exactly. And I just had so many games flashing through my head, and just another reaction I had post game two, in addition to the injury situation, Colby was. You know, when I bring Kyle on, I'll, I'll ask him about it. But, like, when he and I were in college, beating Texas seemed more impossible than beating Oklahoma because not only did you just lose to them every year, it was the manner in which you lost to them. In 2004, OSU led 35-7 to late second quarter. Texas won 56-35. guy by the name of Vince Young was quarterbacking them. OSU led 28-9 to late second quarter. In 05, Texas won 47-28. 07, OSU led 35-14 to in the fourth quarter. And then Colt McCoy and Jamal Charles went nuts to win 38-35. Since all of that calamity and seeming like it was impossible to beat the Longhorns, OSU has now won 9 of 13 against Texas. It is completely flipped. We all know the records over the last, you know, since 2009. It's been completely flipped in terms of who's the really the second best program in the Big 12. And just that's something that came to my, my mind too, Colby, just – Getting over that hump against Texas seemed so impossible not that long ago. And now it just seems like Oklahoma State has, you know, it's trite and it's cliche, but in Gundy, you know, says, you know, we have a winning culture. It's our culture, our cowboy culture. Well, you saw that in the second half. You see Texas on the sideline bickering with each other, the coaches, players, not handling the environment at all. Oklahoma State's so good on the road. They're so well coached. The penalties will get to. The culture of Oklahoma State football was on full display versus the culture that is Texas. Texas finds ways to lose. And Oklahoma State, more often than not, didn't happen in Fort Worth. Sanders healthy, who knows? But more often than not, Oklahoma State finds a way to win as opposed to what Texas does, finding a way to lose. Yeah, Carson, did you hear Dave Hunziker on the call just torching the culture at Texas? I saw the Hunziker bot on Twitter, and I gave him a retweet, but I, I saw the quote, yes. Yeah, so we were listening to the post game and they replayed it after. And essentially, Hunziker, like three times whenever the game ended, was like, that's the difference in a program with a winning culture and a program without one. That is why Oklahoma State wins those games. And he's right. It's a culture thing. And it's why last week against TCU, I think, was so jarring for you and I and the fan base. Because, Carson, Oklahoma State fans, me, you, everybody, have just gotten used to winning all of the one-score games. If it's a one-score game, Oklahoma State will make one more play in the fourth quarter. That's what we've gotten used to because that's what it's been for the last 
two, three seasons. And it didn't happen last week in TCU, and it was jarring. It caught us all off guard. It's like, whoa, it was close late, and Oklahoma State wasn't the one making the plays. And then this week, it just went right back. Like you said, winning culture. Uh, Gundy said in the locker room at halftime, nobody was hanging their heads. Nobody was worried about all the mistakes. They knew if they played their game, they'd be all right. And it, it was just a clinic that was put on in that second half, Carson. And we have to talk about Derek Mason because last season we spent four months talking about Jim Knowles halftime adjustments. Jim Knowles would go in at halftime. He would do something. He would say something. He would change something. And all of a sudden the 85 bears would come out in the second half. And I'll be damned if Derek Mason didn't do the same thing yesterday. Texas had space everywhere. They were running it up the middle. It felt like for 15 yards a clip in the first half, nobody could cover the receivers in the flat. They had guys running open deep. If Quinn Ewers could hit the ocean from the beach. And then all of a sudden you come out in the second half, Carson, they scored three points and it was on a short field. It was after Tom Hutton had to punt when the ball's on the two yard line, Texas started from like Oklahoma state's 25. That's their only points of the second half. They did have the one missed field goal. If it was about 25 yards further, right? He would have had it just barely pulled it a little bit. Uh, but that defense was unbelievable, Carson. And last week we were critical of the staff. Uh, I, I think we do a good job of, of being critical when it's when it's earned and praising when it's earned. And Derek Mason earned a lot of praise yesterday because I don't know what he said at halftime, but that was right out of the Jim Knowles playbook to give up 31 in the first half and then come out and give up three in the second half. Yeah, I wanted to touch on that for sure. Mason, that, that was vintage Jim Knowles halftime adjustments. I thought it was interesting. Mike Gundy said that he didn't give his rah-rah halftime speech. Instead, he gave his assistant coaches six more minutes to, to work with their specific units and, and get everything corrected because there was a lot to correct in the first half. You mentioned all the, the home run shots that Texas was hitting. Colby, Texas had 11 plays of at least 19 yards those 11 plays counted for 326 yards, including touchdowns of 52, 42, and 41 yards. But OSU only allowed the Longhorns just 197 yards on their other 70 snaps. That equals about 2.8 yards per play. So that just kind of shows you they, they blew some assignments, and they, they were unsound in the first half and gave up some big home run balls and home run touchdowns. But to me, it kind of reminded me, a lot of the TCU game where I thought the defense played really solid throughout. They just had a few busts. And I think that really illustrates the fact that what you mentioned of Derek Mason is really proven proving. And I thought he proved it against Texas that he was the right man for the job because you're right. His adjustments were lights out. I mean, they had three points and it, they were lucky to even get that. I mean, they, they established nothing. And Quinn Ewers was terrible. He was helping them. Sure. Sure enough with his lack of accuracy and just, throwing it into the third and fourth row. We'll get to his performance too, but you're right. I thought Derek Mason's adjustments along with Colby, the defensive line, I think won the game. I mean, I think Ewers had those guys in his face pretty much the entire second half made life difficult on a freshman that hasn't played a lot on the road. And uh, I thought that was really the difference in the ball game. Yeah. I haven't actually looked at the uh, stats to see whether how many tackles Trace Ford had, how many sacks Trace Ford had, but I know sitting there in that West end zone, Trey Force, Trace Ford wreaked havoc on Texas offensive 13, line. Uh, 13 quarterback hurries. 13 quarterback hurries. Then, That's for the team. Right. For the team, yeah, not just for Trace Ford. Yeah, no, it was – they were oh, collapsing the oh, pocket. I think we got a special guest here. Do we? Let's bring in the godfather. Kyle Porter connecting his audio right now. So thanks for everyone joining us live. We got your comments. That's Kyle Porter. What's up, What's guys? up dude? How you doing? 
Kyle, would you draft Quinn Ewers number one overall or number two overall? Uh, for the NFL or the Arena League? Yeah, yes. Maybe. <laughs> he, he was not that good. Not that good is an understatement. He was throwing it in the third, fourth row. You had to, like, take cover if you were in the the, the, the good seats close to the sideline. He, he's he's the guy that – so, hello, everybody who's watching this. I, Welcome in. I, uh, I don't – I so, you guys bring me on, and I feel like I'm expected to, like, know a bunch of stuff. I, I don't follow college football as much as I used to. I don't – I barely know who Quinn Ewers is. Is he the guy that went to Ohio State and then transferred? Yes. Yep. Yes, he is. Okay. He like, yeah, he, he, I, I don't, I don't, he's not, he was not that good. I don't get it. Oh, and that's Kyle coming into the game. You know, I watched the OU Texas game. They won 49, nothing. I didn't think Ewers was that good in that game. I mean, he, he could have thrown three interceptions in that game. Wasn't that accurate. OU was just totally inept. And, and I, I wanted to ask you, you, you mentioned you don't watch football as much as you do. You do fire off a tweet about OSU football every now and then when you're fired up. So I, I know you've been watching at least from afar. Yeah. So I think what is, and this was maybe unexpected whenever I uh, sold pistols firing and kind of got out of covering Oklahoma state was that I became more of a fan of OSU, which is like sort of how it was when, you know, we were all in college or, or even before that. And so it's been really fun for me um, to like take my son to the big 12 championship game last year. Well, the end wasn't that fun, but like the, the rest of it was like, I just, I am more of a fan or I feel like I can be more of a fan of OSU now than, you know, the 10 years when I was kind of uh, in charge of and, and running the website. So for me, that's been an unexpected thrill because, you know, you, as you guys know, you get really close to something in your covering it and it becomes harder to just be a fan of that thing. And so that part of it, I've really enjoyed. And, and so we've, we watch, you know, at least part of most of the games and I don't feel like I have to watch from, you know, kickoff until three hours after Gundy talks, but uh, it, it's become, it's become a lot more like enjoyable for me to be a fan of OSU, which has been great. Well, and it's enjoyable in general right now to be a fan of OSU because things are pretty good. We were talking before you got on, that, that last week against TCU was kind of jarring because we've all just gotten so used to Oklahoma State winning all the one-score games. It's like if it's close in the fourth quarter, we pretty much know, okay, Oklahoma State's just going to make one more play than whoever's on the other side. And it was the same thing yesterday against Texas. Uh, I don't know if you saw Hans Eicher torching the, the Texas culture on the call as he signed off. You know, that's what happens <laughs> when a team with a winning culture plays a team without a winning culture. But it's just, you, you know, Carson was talking about when you two were in college, the idea of beating Texas every year was just so foreign. The idea of beating Texas any year was so foreign. And now Oklahoma State's gotten to a place where it's like, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen. If you're in a close game with Texas in the fourth quarter, you're going to, you're going to beat them. Uh, So yeah, it's just, it's just a fun time in general right now to be an OSU fan. It it really is interesting. And I think, you know, I think it's a testament to, to Gundy, you know, I, things with me and him did not end great when I was covering Oklahoma state, but I, I maintain that he has been the best thing that's ever happened to Oklahoma state football, you know, along with, um, you know, obviously Ben Pickens and, and Mike Holder. And there's been a lot of things that have happened over the last 20 years, but Gundy has been unbelievable. And I, I actually just tweeted this stat out. Um, so I was at the Oh five game, the Vince young game. You guys were, I know you were probably there, Carson Up there. Yep. I was there. Um, you and I, you and I, are the same age. We were there the same exact time. 
So we were probably all at that game, the the Donovan Woods getting pump fake out of his mind game. And uh, obviously Texas wins it all that year. But since that year, so that was Gundy's first year, Oklahoma State is 151 and 63. So they've won 151 games and Texas won 133. So they're 133 and 78 and OSU is nine and eight against Texas. So it would have been unfathomable to me, to all of us, if one of the other of us had come up to the other two and said, Hey, the next 17 years, Oklahoma state's going to be significantly better than Texas. <laughs> like, we been like well, how, like what, what's the, like, how do we get to that? Like, how does that happen? And it ha- it, it has happened. And so you, you almost, it's been weird to watch OSU because you almost don't worry, like worry is probably the wrong word, but there's not like, I don't, I didn't really ever feel like even watching the Texas game yesterday, like, Oh, this is, they're going to get, they're just going to get blown out. It just doesn't really happen. I mean, it, it can happen, but it doesn't happen that often because of Gundy and because of the sort of continuity that they've had over the last five, 10, 15 years. And I think that is, uh, that's to be celebrated uh, within Oklahoma state and, and specifically as it relates to Mike Gundy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you don't miss staying up till two in the morning, writing 10 <laughs> football game. And, you know, you, you mentioned the the games against Texas and just giving up those big leads and everything else. Just, it is pretty remarkable. You and I talked so much on this podcast. We would bemoan Mike's recruiting. We thought he could do better. I still, we still probably think that, but then you watch the game against Texas yesterday and the depth of Oklahoma state with true freshmen everywhere mm-hmm. playing at a lot of different positions, won the game. Essentially Stefan Johnson was giving me some Tyron Johnson vibes, by the way, he was committed to Oregon. I know he's a guy you and I kind of like, similar to kind of Des has that kind of different <laughs> vibe about him, but just the depth Kyle was on display. Maybe we just need to give it up. Just quit worrying about recruiting because look at the results. Well, yeah, maybe I, again, I haven't followed the recruiting stuff as closely as before, but the guy that has stood out to me this year that is kind of emblematic of what you're talking about is uh, Daniel is Kendall Daniels. And you watch him and you're like, Whoa, whoa like that's, that's a lot different than what has traditionally been an Oklahoma state player. Um, you know, and, and, and so part of it is like, okay, I feel a little validated of like, yo, if you get some of these and, and it's not as easy as we have always made it sound, but if you get some of these Kendall Daniels in there, like it's going to be unbelievable because you already, you already did the hard part, which is the culture is the continuity is like all the things that we've always talked about. Um, and the easier part, it's not easy, but the easier part I think is like recruiting players that are really athletic and really good. And so, you know, green was obviously awesome at the end of the game or throughout the game. Uh, Daniels uh, Nixon is astonishingly good. You know, like he, I saw the uh, the kick return against Baylor. He had that run yesterday against Texas. And so it, it is Yes, I agree. Like maybe you do need to, maybe we need to give it up, but also it does feel a little validating that, hey, this is sort of what we've always been saying, and it's weird to see somebody almost have an uptick in recruiting. I think uh, toward the end of their career in Mike Gundy, rather that that usually tapers off over time instead of instead of improves. So that's been pretty interesting to see from afar as well. Yeah, yeah, I think before the, you, before the guy you go, Colby, before you yeah, go, no, go ahead. Daniels was a legit four-star, committed to A&M. He's from Oklahoma, but that, that is exactly what you – I know you don't follow recruiting as much as you used to, but 
he was a legit, you know, Dez, Tylen type four yeah. star to, to prove your point. Go ahead, Colby. Yeah. Yeah, the guy for me that kind of is emblematic of that was Ollie Gordon yesterday. Ollie Gordon, for whatever reason, I'm not at practice. He had played 52 offensive snaps through six games. And then yesterday, because the injury to Dominic Richardson, we see more Jaden Nixon, uh, more Ollie Gordon in the second half. And that that size and speed combination that Ollie Gordon has, you, you just can't coach that size and speed, that quickness. I mean, Texas was three guys to get him on the ground every time he touched it. And I just, I thought the change of pace backs in the second half were huge for Oklahoma state because they've been struggling just giving it to Dominic Richardson, who's a really good back, but he does things well running in between tackles, bowling ball type stuff that Jaden Nixon maybe doesn't do as well, but Jaden Nixon has that speed on the 51 yard run runs out of his shoe literally. And I, I think that using all three of those backs to complement one another is what your offense needs. Whenever your offensive line is struggling, you've, you've dealt with injuries. I think you you need one guy who can run between the tackles and be physical and run guys over. But I think you need somebody who can get, get outside and get the edge and have some speed too. So I love what Oklahoma state did yesterday in the running game, because I thought it was the perfect blend of all three backs and Spencer. And I think that you saw that in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter when it didn't really look like Texas had an answer is, is Gordon zero. Yes. No. Okay. I'm like Gundy now. I just numbers only like, I don't, I don't do names. I just, I just got numbers. Yeah, Zero uh, so played pretty I, well for us yesterday. Zero looked pretty good out there on the I, edge. Tough, exactly. Tough kid. That's, that's how I. That's how I talk to my kids. I'm like, I, he's zero. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know who he is. But you, uh, he, he, he had a play. Uh, I think it was a pass to him, like out in the flats on the right side, and he like he was just bowled two guys over, and you're like, who is this guy? Like, he looked. Is he a freshman? True freshman. Yeah, true. He's a true freshman. That, the, he looked like he, he looked like Brandon Pettigrew. And now I saw I, I glimpsed him for like again five seconds. It, it was I, I'm not evaluating him, but it was that's astonishing to see, and uh, it's fun to see. I mean, to have that kind of depth is is really cool. I, I did want to say about Sanders, like he I've watched him throughout the year, saw some of the TCU, most of the Texas, all pretty much all of everything else. And he has, he's kind of like, he's a gamer and he's been super impressive. And he was just getting, he was kind of getting his ass kicked yesterday during, in the tech. And that's all you you play Texas. And it's like, you know, it's going to kind of be like, you're going to, you're not going to wake up on Sunday and feel great. Right. But man, I was so impressed by how he just kept hanging in and hanging in. And he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have Brandon Whedon's arm. He's not, um, he, he just like, he just goes out and like competes. I sound like Gundy now. Uh, he goes out and competes and I, it's just fun to watch. Like I, it, you know, you, you feel so much different uh, just watching and being a fan rather than covering. And I have enjoyed watching him play this year because I think he's, I just like guys that or I enjoy watching guys that are super competitive and that's what he is. And he, he, he's kind of held it together over. It seems like over the last two, three, four weeks. And that's been, uh, I think that's been pretty impressive. Yeah. I think he's finally now starting to get the credit that he deserves really what he did at the end of last year coming in all that he's done this year. And you're so right about him being a gamer. Like it's two games now where he's, dove headfirst onto a fumble. Like how many quarterbacks, like Cam Newton didn't do that in the Super Bowl. <laughs> so like that just kind of shows you like what type of competitor he is. I was curious. We, we've taken up plenty of your time, Kyle. I did want to just, for the people that are watching, listening, you, you say you've 
uh, not watched a ton and you're, you're just a regular fan now. Just give us kind of an update what you've been up to since you sold PFB and your thoughts on Marshall and just kind of give everybody an update, uh, which is I know CBS still rides you like Seabiscuit like I used to. Do, <laughs> just kind of for the people watching, listening, they haven't heard from me in a long time. Just kind of give us an update. Yeah, it's been so that was I uh, sold the sold the website to Marshall um, almost two years ago. So it's been it's been a while. It was funny, you know, uh, some of my friends that live here in Dallas, we coach our son's uh, five football team and they both went to Oklahoma State and they're like, oh, have you heard about Sanders being hurt? And I was like, not really like I don't. And so I, I went home and I was like, I need to get on PFB and see like what's going you know, like see, see what the deal is. So it was, it was, I told my wife, I was like, this is such a weird thing that I'm getting on this, this thing that I, you know, started or like kind of created or whatever to figure out like what's going on with this team that I now, you know, follow as a fan. So that's been um, good. I mean, it's, it's great, like for Marshall, cause I think that like they've continued to do a good job and, and um, so that's been fun to watch from afar, but it, in terms of my world, it's been, uh, it's been all golf, you know, I've been um, covering golf now for 10 years, but uh, I think the last two, it's just really like I've, the time that I used to spend on PFB, I've kind of dove back into um, spending most of that in the golf world, which I think has been, it's been fun. It's, it's helped me, you know, sometimes I felt like I was trying to live in two worlds when I was doing PFB and the golf stuff. It's as you guys know, I don't know how you did it, Carson with covering thunder and OU and like, it, there's just, it's, it's really hard to, to do any of those really well when you're trying to know a lot about a lot of different things. So it's been nice for me to just be in one world. And uh, I w- I've loved CBS. I get to write, I get to uh, podcast and do a little bit of video work, but um, I've also been writing on my own uh, quite a bit. I wrote a golf book last year, kind of recapping the, um, the golf season, which was super fun. I'd never written a book before. And working on the same this year, it's, it's going to be uh, version two. It's called normal sport, which is uh, just a reference to how just insane and weird golf is. And uh, I got some people that um, are kind of working alongside me, some other writers and editors, and that's been a really fun project to work on. So I've, I've, my wife jokes that I can't like just let things go. I have to fill the void with other projects and she's probably right about that, but it has been less time that I've spent. So I got to spend more time with our kids and uh, coaching five football and going on trips and stuff like that, which has been, uh, you know, was part of the goal of, of selling PFB. Well, it's been great to see you. Great to catch up with you. Uh, before you go, tell people how to, how to subscribe and get normal sport too, and give us kind of your prediction on how the season plays out. And if you, maybe you'll make it back to Jerry world again, but <laughs> yeah. So normal sport too, uh, just on my Twitter profile, you can, um, get update, like you can hit subscribe and you'll just get updates over the next month or two. We're going to release it, I think either first or second week in December. And, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's crazy. Like this golf year was, as you guys know, completely insane with live and the PGA tour. And I was, I got to go to the open this year in Scotland. I had never been before. So that was, uh, that was a ton of fun. And, uh, we got stuff on all that. So if people are interested that that's where they can get it, but the season, man, I was thinking, I was talking to my son about this this morning. He's eight. He's like really into it. He loves Sanders. He loves Richardson. Great age. Um, it is a great age. And we were talking about how 
he's like, well, Iowa state stinks. I'm like, listen, you don't understand the Iowa state thing yet. Like you're, you're eight, like <laughs> you will at some point, but he wasn't it, alive for Ames 2011. If you weren't alive for Ames 2011, <laughs> you don't get to claim Iowa state stinks. It still hurts. Exactly. Iowa state does stink and they need to win nine games, but I can't, I can't say that in, in light of, uh, in light of, you know, the last 10 years, uh, 12, 11 years. So, I don't know, man. You, you know, the Big 12 is weird because you're you're almost as an Oklahoma State fan, you're almost more worried about Kansas State and um, who else did that? Well, they have Kansas State, Iowa State, West Virginia, OU and Kansas. Uh, Kansas. Yep. You're almost more. This is insane that I'm going to say this. You're almost more worried about Kansas and Kansas State than you are OU, which is well. T- totally backfire and be something that nobody should ever say, but I, I don't, I don't, I think if this were a different year, you would say, okay, if you beat OU, you're probably going to go to the big 12 championship game. And I don't really feel like that this year. It feels, it seems like there's still a lot of minefields to kind of navigate for Oklahoma state. Uh, I think it, so I think my prediction is if Sanders stays healthy, that they will somehow get back to the big 12 championship but if he doesn't, that they won't, which is not, I'm not really going out on a limb there, but I, I just think he's that important, that special, that good. And uh, yeah, I think it would be, I, I want to go back to the big 12 championship game. That was so much fun to see that place filled up Oklahoma state people everywhere. It was loud. It was crazy. And uh, I, I think OSU deserves I mean, it's it's insane that Gundy only has one Big Twelve title, right? And uh, I think I think just based on how good they've been over the last five, six, seven years, it would be cool to to see them get a, a, a what I think is a very deserved Big Twelve championship. I would be remiss. One last question: Did you see the Iowa sucks sign? My yeah. Iowa bit is still going strong after I started with you about five years ago. I so I did see this, and I was like, I almost texted you. I was like. Carson might be in the stands today. Like that might be him or it might be a plant. It might be somebody that he knows. You know, some takes age like milk. That one has aged like the finest wine. Yeah. The The big 10 and those Iowa type teams that don't play Michigan, Ohio state. I just, I I got so many tweets and texts about that. It was just hilarious. Unfortunately, the guy's like a Nebraska fan. I was hoping (laughs) a listener, I would have had him on if he was a listener, but I thought What's of the, you because that bit started with you. What's the deal with what is Matt Campbell is still going to like take over the world or what, what's the deal with them? Oh, your Iowa State take is aged as well as my Big Ten stinks take. Uh, he's lost. He's 10 and 10, I think, in his last 20 games. So those got to are... strike while the iron's hot. He didn't strike while the iron was hot. And now he uh, now there's no room to to go. He, he coaches like his seventh grade daughter's softball team in Ames, Iowa. And I think he likes the anonymity of it, but. Iowa State might run him off. He keeps losing 50% of his games. Who knows? Yeah, that's that's bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's been – Big 12's been, been super fun. It, I was thinking about how Texas – you know, I, it, it, te- Texas obviously played Alabama really well. And I think sometimes – even as a big 12 or as an Oklahoma state fan, a big 12 fan, you're like, Oh, well you couldn't, we couldn't hang with like Tennessee or, you know, and, and it's like, you know, probably not, but maybe like Texas, Alabama played a, played a close, they played a good game. And I I just, I I think it would be, I'm hopeful that 
a big 12 team makes it to the college football playoff. I'm really hopeful that it's Oklahoma state. Uh, Cause I think that I think they're better than TCU. That was so frustrating to lose that game. And uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to, to watch it play out and hopefully get to get to see you guys in, uh, in Jerry world or, or meet up somewhere later on in the year. Yeah. Mark it down. If they make it this year, I'll be there. So it was yeah. great catching up with you, Kyle. Great to see you again. And uh, let's, let's do this again sometime. Well, We'll have to give you a full runway and go like three hours next time to get well, your takes for in. sure. Sunday afternoons are great because I'm about to just flip the golf on and and uh, cover that all afternoon. So, uh, yeah, anytime I like coming on after wins more than losses, but uh, what are the fans? Our, our viewers were way down when they lost to TCU as opposed and, to and now they're back up. Everybody loves a winner. <laughs> well, I saw that. I saw the your numbers against uh, what was before that, maybe Baylor or Tech was yeah, like, Baylor. yeah, was or really tech, yeah. strong, and then TCU, I was like, dude what the heck like what is, you know they're still here like we can still watch them so anyway keep it up guys and uh yeah we'll talk soon thanks Peace kyle out. good seeing you okay. bud. see you guys the great kyle porter the uh the godfather of pistols firing joining us that was a lot of fun it was great to catch up with kyle uh don't get to talk to him as much as i used to since we used to do the podcast together twice a week but uh great catching up with him uh colby let's real, let's real quick great comment on youtube uh, Brian Busselman. I was hoping he would say, uh, talking about Kyle, I was hoping he would say Iowa State needs to win nine games and KP didn't disappoint. I know. That's why I was like clapping. It was like, play the hits. Got to play the hits. Games. He used to say that every single year because Iowa State was getting so much hype. And that take is, again, aged as, as well as my Big Ten stinks take. That was hilarious. I kind of forgot about the win nine games going into it because Iowa State's such an afterthought. Uh, but Colby, before he jumped on, we were talking about the defensive adjustments and just the home run balls that OSU was hitting. And, you know, Gundy mentioned he didn't do his rah-rah speech, gave the assistants more time. I, I mentioned the defensive line, all the pressures and, and the hurries. And I want to give it, get it back to you because I think you had something to say about that as well. Yeah, Trace Ford. I, I just wanted to talk more about what he was doing in that second half. He has – I don't know what he was doing the whole time that he was injured, but he just looks so – strong. I mean, he's taking these tackles and he's using them like sleds, Carson. I mean, he's just putting both hands in their chest and just running them backward into the quarterback. I mean, this is stuff that you see the guys at Alabama and Georgia do. I mean, you see them take offensive linemen and just push them back into their own quarterback. And Trace Ford is doing that. And I thought in that second half, my, my view from the West end zone, uh, you know, that fourth quarter, Texas was going uh, away from us. And it just looked like Quinn Ewers was taking the snap looking at his first read, and if it wasn't there, he was throwing it to Ponca City. Like, he just, he was rattled, man. And Trace Ford was a big part of that. And I thought probably the funniest moment of the game was uh, the big long run from Quinn Ewers late in the fourth quarter. Big long run. Gets called back because of holding. The offensive tackle, he's standing there. He's watching Quinn Ewers run. He's getting hyped up. Trace Ford walks up behind him, taps him on the shoulder turns around, points at the flag. They have some words. It's like, it was an obvious hold. He was getting held all game long, and he still just, I, I thought, made absolute mincemeat of that Texas offensive line. I'm glad you mentioned that story. Dave Hudson uh, mentioned that on Twitter as well. The OKC Dave, who does the great survey for the fans. He also has some, some tweets addressing the, the penalty situation, which just raining in of Longhorn tears all over social media about the penalties, which we'll get to. But he mentioned that exact thing where Trace tapped the guy on the shoulder, pointed to the flag. And that's the, that's one of the opinions I had on the game coming out of it too, Colby, is every single week, if you just watch Trace forward, they have to hold him every time he rushes the passer. And Texas fans can argue whether that was a hold. He like bear hugged him and tackled him. Like you can't, like you can hold your guy up 
by his jersey, but you can't can't bear hug. That's like the definition of holding is by bear hugging a guy and trying to take him down wrestling style. So that was a clear hold. And Ford is making such a huge difference. And it's just a it's a remarkable story. I mean, two just devastating knee injuries. And you mentioned just how fast he looks now, even with that big brace he's wearing. He's become a real asset, and I thought he was he was becoming a potential Big 12 Player of the Year on defense before he got uh, his first injury. And so, yeah, it's just it's great to see him. Uh, Tyler Lacey, I thought, was everywhere. Um, but you also touched on, before we dive into the penalty situation and the way the second half played out, let's just talk about the running game. And you mentioned it with, with Nixon and, and Ollie Gordon. You and I have been touching on this ever since the game against TCU ended. You know, Richardson leaves the game – due to injury, and it kind of helped the running game. He just, coming into this game, he didn't have a run more than 20 yards. And Nixon had one double that with one shoe on. And so much of the plays that are drawn up by Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy, it relies on a running back meeting a guy in the hole, and it's just mano a mano. And if you make that first guy miss, it's a 20, 30, 40, who knows how far run. He just doesn't have the shiftiness inside the tackle box to make that first guy miss. And he he was lump, he, his yards per carry was not very good again against Texas. I don't have it right in front of me just yet, but they need to get Ollie Gordon and Nixon some more opportunities where they have that guy mano a mano because I think they are way more capable of making that first guy miss and getting those chunk yardage plays in the running game. Cause that, that more than anything, you can blame the offensive line for not being as good. I thought they played really well in this game for, for the most part. It's, it's time Colby to get the running back in there that can make that first guy miss. Yeah. I thought the offensive line was good. Not great. Considering what they're dealing with. Um, I, I thought that it was pretty good against Texas. Still some snap issues that are just wearing me out. You're, you know, Spencer's got his heels on his own goal line. You snap it over his head. He has to catch it and make a guy miss at the goal line to, to even get to where you can punt the ball away. But uh, aside from that, I thought that they were fine. But yeah, the running backs, Carson, we've been talking about it. You've got three guys who are so good. And, and watching the way that second half played out yesterday, it just, man, it made me sick that, that they didn't use Ollie Gordon and Jaden Nixon against TCU. Just made me sick because those guys, they just changed the pace. They give the defense a different look. And, and I think all three of them deserve maybe even an equal number of snaps throughout the game because they complement each other so well. Dominic Richardson, I mean, he is a tough runner. He's a hard guy to tackle. You run him in between the tackles, beat those guys up. That, that inserts a certain amount of physicality into your offense. But Jaden Nixon and Ollie Gordon, they can both outrun people on the edge. And Ollie Gordon, he's tough to tackle. Man, Texas looked like they wanted no part of tackling Ollie Gordon. Um, he had seen 52 offensive snaps, Carson, in six games. It's, that's not touches. That's snaps. That kid's way too big, way too fast, way too electric to have 52 offensive snaps in six games. Now, I understand there might have been a trust issue because he did put the ball on the ground in a very big moment down in Waco. I get that. He also got pop helmet on ball coming out of a spin. He's a freshman. I, I get it. Things like that happen. I want more Jaden Nixon. I want more Ollie Gordon. That's not a knock against Dominic Richardson. I think Dom's a really good back. I just think all three of them complement each other perfectly. And I, I think that that makes a defense's life so much tougher when you have three backs who do three different things and you can run them all out there and rotate them through. I think that makes life hard on a defense. So I expect to see much more of that the last five weeks of the season. I will say, though, in Mike's defense – you saw why he doesn't like to play true freshman in this game. I go back to the Stephon Johnson drop. 
That was a big drop. Talon Shetron before he got lit up. I can't believe they didn't call targeting on that. Eyes moving away from the ball before he catches it. Drop. Uh, Braylon Presley, my boy, going over the middle. It was thrown a little bit behind him. Got to make that play. Have to make that catch. I think there were three or four instances where I sat back and was like, so that's why Mike is so hesitant to play freshman. He sees this every day in practice. I can kind of see his perspective on that on one hand. And so I will, I will defend him from that aspect. We saw what freshmen can do, especially like Quinn Ewers, who I guess is a redshirt freshman. But just you're right, though. Like, we're too late in the game. Guys are too beat up. Ollie Gordon and Nixon need more touches. They're just, there's no two ways about it. Um, the penalties, Colby, 14 to zero. Two were, one was declined by Texas going against Oklahoma State. Another was offsetting. And I tweeted this out. You know, Oklahoma State is one of the best teams in the country at avoiding penalties. They're seventh in the country in terms of the fewest amount of penalties. And then our boy Dave Hudson, who I mentioned earlier, uh, stat guru, stat wizard, does all the uh, fan survey stuff for Oklahoma State. He says when you take when you take this a little further and factor in the number of plays each t- each each team is on the field for, it's pretty staggering. OSU is <laughs> number one in the country at one penalty every forty one point four plays. Second place is at 36. So they're far and away, far and away, when you factor in the number of plays they're facing, the least penalized team in the country. And again, that's not, that's not a fluke. That's not an accident. That doesn't just happen by coincidence. That's Mike Gundy being the excellent coach that he is. And then you look at the other side, 10 of Texas's 14 penalties were before the snap. That's Undisciplined football. That's bad football. That's bad coaching. Their sideline demeanor with the players and coaches, they were losing it on each other. And, and I, I always tend to not criticize that as much because football is an emotional game. You're going to yell at your coaches. You're going to yell at your teammates. But theirs was getting a little out of hand. It was going to a different – they were crossing the line a little bit. But, man, Colby, the discipline Oklahoma State showed in this game also, that, that's a ton of yardage. That's over 100 yards in, in game yardage lost by Texas that Oklahoma State didn't have to worry about. Uh, Yeah, I've been dying to talk about the penalties because I was at that game yesterday. So first off, I want to point out the one penalty every 41.4 plays for Oklahoma State. They are miles ahead of second, like you said. The gap from one to two in terms of discipline on penalties is the same as the gap from two to 13. SMU is 5.2 plays ahead of Wyoming in 13th. Oklahoma State's 5.2 plays ahead of SMU. Oklahoma State is far and away the most disciplined team in the country. Also, let's look at the staggering difference in penalties. All right, so Oklahoma State had zero accepted penalties for zero accepted penalty yards. There was one penalty on Oklahoma State that was declined. It was on third down. It was a holding earlier in the game. Texas could have backed them up, chose not to. Uh, I actually thought that was a mistake from Texas coaching staff because that penalty would have knocked Oklahoma State out of field goal range. Oklahoma State would have had to gain probably eight or nine yards back on third down to get back in field goal range. So I thought Sarkeesian made a huge error there in, in declining that penalty, but he did. So he declined the penalty. There's also a uh, another holding penalty later in the game, second half, I think, maybe third quarter on Oklahoma State. It's offset because Texas roughs the passer. So those two penalties offset. So there were two called penalties on Oklahoma State, but neither one was enforced. But like you said, all the pre-snap penalties, and let's just really talk about who got a fair shake from the officials yesterday in Stillwater, Oklahoma. A punt comes down. Now, Brennan shouldn't have been this close to your punt. Anytime that you are a punt returner and you decide to get out of, out of the way of a punt at the last second and it lands in between your legs, you've made a mistake. Brennan made a huge mistake 
with a, a punt landing in between his legs. But we have three different angles, Carson, that I think you could pretty clearly see at all times there was space between the football and Brennan Presley. So they go up and they review it. Call stands. Why not? Why wouldn't the call stand, right? All right. So then Spencer slides. Spencer slides. Guy dives in late. I thought that there was a clear launch and Spencer was hitting the head as he slid. I didn't think it was like the TCU hit on Dylan Gabriel where he knocked him senseless and he was out for two weeks. I thought it was at the lower end of targeting, but by the definition of the rule, he launched, he followed through with the shoulder and, and that, that, that arm, and he did catch Spencer in the head. It's again, I talked about it last week. It's another huge problem I have with the targeting call. It's not enforced uniformly across college football. It's subjective of one guy sitting up in the replay booth, and that guy was not on Oklahoma State's side yesterday. Okay, now let's talk about the kick return for Texas. Xavier Worthy takes it out to midfield. I'm sitting in the West End Zone, Carson, and I saw the block in the back live. It was obvious. It was egregious. I stood up out of my seat waiting for the official closest to it to throw the flag. He doesn't. An official 50 yards away sees it, throws the flag as far as he can, still can't get it to where the penalty took place. They get together. No foul. No foul on the play. We're going to pick that one up. How about uh, Bryson Green getting shoved in the back on pass interference? They actually get that one. There was another pass interference call that was thrown. Official clearly sees it. P.I. throws the flag. They confer. All of a sudden, no foul on the play. Two penalties in big moments picked up, just flags. An official saw a penalty. They came together, decided to pick it up. Two replay reviews that I thought clearly should have went in Oklahoma State's favor that didn't. And then you had the uh, catch by Stephon Johnson down on the three-yard line, which that one I couldn't tell as he rolled over the top of it. But what bothered me about that one is that it's it's like either way they called it on the field, it was going to stand because you couldn't tell on replay. And of course it goes against Oklahoma State again. So yes, if all you do is look at the box score and you see the staggering difference in penalties, it would probably be pretty alarming. If you watch the game and you watch what happened for four quarters, it's a miracle that it wasn't a more staggering difference because Texas got the benefit of the doubt on two picked up fouls that, that should have been there. So yes, Oklahoma State's the most disciplined team in the country. Uh, Texas is very much not that. So yes, there was a staggering difference in penalties as there should have been. It's, it's low hanging fruit. It reminds me so much of when people don't watch a basketball game and just look at the free throw discrepancy and say, ah, oh, well, the refs, they were, they were favoring the other team. What? Not when they didn't watch the game and realize the other team attacked the basket nonstop and the other one just settled for jump shots. Like it's just low hanging fruit. And if there was this conspiracy, Colby, you mentioned the reviews. Those were game-altering reviews, especially the Brennan Presley punt, uh, muff or whatever, or not muff, and then the Stephon Johnson catch were two critical game-altering calls that they have five to ten minutes. If the Big 12 office is really against Texas, the commissioner had time to call them and say, give OSU that call if there's some conspiracy. And not once. Did they do it? Not once. Every call went against Oklahoma State in the most crucial of calls. So get out of here with this conspiracy. Oh, they're just mad because we're going to the Big 12. No, loser. OSU got jobbed in this game and overcame it and won. And, and this goes with OU too. Go back and watch the start of that TCU game. Sonny Dykes was about to murder an official. They got this call so wrong on special teams. I believe it was a kick return fumble, something like that. Sonny Dykes almost offed a Big 12 referee because they got job so bad. He, he never got over it, even though they were up by 50 on OU at one point. So the idea that OU and Texas are getting mistreated 
by the Big 12 is just, it's a joke and it's low hanging fruit and, it, and we've, we've probably talked about it enough. Um, so we mentioned the penalties. I do want to talk about some guys who stepped up. I did want to touch on this tweet or a comment in our live chat from um, Brian Metcalf, loyal follower of PFB. He says, did you see Chris Nowinski's tweet about the Sanders slide? Never a good thing. It's the first thing I saw when Colby, when they were replaying, whether it was targeting or not, his head hits hit the back of his head, much like Gabriel hits the turf and bounces a good foot off the ground. Like, he, he stood up, didn't buckle like Tua did, but it was a little questionable he didn't go to the tent or go get more precautions taken because his head did slam the turf. Now, it wasn't helmet to helmet. It was more shoulder to kind of the corner of his shoulder. It was more the whiplash effect on the ground than it was a helmet to helmet shot. But, man, he looked, he looked pretty wobbled, and it was, it was pretty scary looking at the replay. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell what it was like on TV. Obviously, we were in the stadium. In the stadium – I, I didn't really think it looked that bad. Uh, maybe it looked worse on TV in the stadium. I, I kind of thought that the defender tried to decapitate him and tried to murder him, but just didn't quite hit him solidly. Just missed a little bit. Kind of like whenever you 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 catch a, a tee shot off the, the bottom of the club face on the driver. I thought that's kind of what happened with the defender. I thought that he was really trying to take his head off and he just missed a little bit and ended up just kind of barely clipping him. Uh, so, yeah, I can't speak for what happened there on the replay, but that that is a good segue into the Spencer Sanders conversation that I want to have because I'm listening to the postgame show last night driving home and uh, Mike Gundy's talking to Robert Allen and they're just talking about kind of the team's resiliency, right? And, and what do you say to those guys, you, you know, the toughness, of everybody, you've got uh, Joe Mikulski going back in the locker room, comes back out, trying to get back on out on the field. I mean, you've got guys banged up, just dying to get back out on the field. And then Robert Allen said something about Spencer, and Mike Gundy said, oh, yeah, that's just always the way it is with Spencer. That guy won't ever come off the field. He said, and he said, and we don't even have to preach that to the other guys. We don't, t- we don't have to tell the other guys to be tough. We don't have to tell the other guys to, to leave it out, all out on the field. You want to know why? They just watch their quarterback. They just watch him, and they do what he does. And – that was just so telling to me because I think that his leadership maybe is taken a little bit for granted. Whenever we see his offensive lineman huddled around him, what marching him out of the TCU game, whenever we see guy after guy after guy, just it's like he doesn't panic anymore when he throws picks and nobody else does either. I mean, he throws that pick in just a brutal spot in the second half. You had a touchdown on the previous play to Braylon and it's not there. And then you throw a pick on the next play. He doesn't hang his head. Nobody hangs their head. They follow his lead. And Carson, he has he has turned into one of my favorite players that I've ever watched at Oklahoma State because we have gotten to watch him grow over the span of half a decade from this highly touted, talented recruit who just hadn't quite learned how to play the position yet. He, he was talented and he was an athlete, but he needed to learn how to be a quarterback and he needed to learn how to, to command the respect of his teammates and the confidence of his teammates. And he's done all of that, and now you just watch him, and he's a special player. I, I tweeted after the game last night, the difference in that game was at quarterback, and it was a difference the size of Texas. Spencer Sanders made every play when he needed to make it. Some of those throws over the middle of the field, the, the window was the size of a football. The throw to John Paul Richardson where he got sandwiched and somehow hung on to it, that, th- that window was the size of a football, and he threw it with a guy in his face falling backward. John Paul Richardson makes a phenomenal catch on the back end. I mean, I'm just blown away at the development that we've seen from Spencer Sanders. He's, he's turned into one of my all-time favorite Cowboys to watch. 
has the mentality of a linebacker and just happens to play quarterback. That's kind of the vibe I get when I've watched Spencer over the years. And you're so right. Like, and I, I really kind of defended him over the last three and four years simply because he's had three different offensive coordinators, four different quarterback coaches, constant change, constant terminology changes. And he just kept grinding, man. And I thought he really blossomed at the end of last year. And, you know, he was first team all Big 12 quarterback last year. Now, some would argue that's because there weren't anybody else to pick. That's what rivals would argue. He was sensational last year. And he is sensational again this year. He is the best player in the Big 12 as it stands currently today. Better than Max Duggan. I'm sorry. Max Duggan's had a good year. The offense, I, I can't think of a quarterback who has more weight of an entire offense on his shoulders than Spencer. Can't hardly run the football. Receivers missing every single week. And he just keeps producing. I mean, willing plays out of nothing. How many, the, the, some of those third down runs he had were so crucial to keep the momentum going, to keep drives alive. Carson, the third longs, they converted last night, third downs of nine, nine, eight, six. I mean, first drive of the game, maybe second, second, third drive of the game, whatever. Third and nine. And Texas stunts, Overshawn or whatever his name is, is coming right up the middle, about to just lower the boom. And he just chucks up 42 yards downfield and it hits Bryson Green in stride. That throw just hasn't been there in years past. The development's been unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he he got beat up in this game. He was already beat up. But just, as I was saying, just he has to be great for Oklahoma State to outscore somebody. Even though he's not 100%, he was great. This is the quarterback, when he signed with Oklahoma State, we all hoped he, he could become. And he is, and he is literally willing his team to win. Like you mentioned, not only just the plays he made, but I mentioned the diving on the football, just how many quarterbacks just kind of check out of the play once they've, once they're out of it, he was locked in, dove on it. I just, I can't say enough of good things about the guy. He's had a very polarizing career, but you and I were asked a few weeks ago where he would rank on the all time list. Man, he, he's climbing it. I don't know if he'll ever pass Brandon. That's hard to do. And there's a lot of, you know, team goals that are going to be, you know, put up against Brandon and all that. But just in terms of a guy you want to be next to you in the foxhole and go to war with, there's no quarterback I'd rather have than Spencer Sanders, man. Like that guy, dogs have that Spencer inside them. That's how much of a dog he is. And I, I couldn't be more impressed with the guts he showed against Texas. Yeah, it, it'll be tough to pass Brandon because you have to accomplish some special things as a team, too, if you're going to leapfrog him. Um, but he's the possibilities there, depending on how this season plays out. I don't know if he'll come back next year. I doubt it because he's he's starting to get a little buzz. I mean, he, he's going to get drafted, uh, whether somebody with a mobile quarterback brings him in as a backup or somebody's going to bring him in and, and try to groom him. I don't know. Uh, but there's a good chance he gets drafted if he goes out uh, th this this year. But Carson. I'm glad that you mentioned falling on the fumbles because I was watching this yesterday as it transpired live in the stadium and you can't always see it on TV because you're, you're zoomed in too close. Carson, if you watch him, there's a lot of times it, it's not a coincidence that he's in the right place at the right time to bail his running backs out. It's like he hovers behind the play and you know, quarterbacks, they just hand the ball off. They're done. They are done on that play. Spencer's not done. It's not a coincidence that he keeps falling on the fumbles. He doesn't get close enough to be in the mess and get hurt on just normal run plays, but he's close enough that if that ball pops out and it comes backward just any little bit at all, he is ready to take one step forward, 
dive on it, corral it, and that thing is not popping out of there. And we've seen it twice this year, Carson, late in big games in conference play, games that you have to win, and twice he's been there to bail his running backs out, and it's not a coincidence, Carson. He is hovering at a safe distance, waiting in case that ball comes out. It's just the dude's a football player, and he's, he's like, go ahead, hit me. You can hit me because guess what? I've got the ball, so I don't care. He's just, man, it's fun to watch. That's a great observation. I haven't noticed that. I'm sure being in the stadium uh, helps you see that. That's that's amazing. Because I, I do remember when he was, you know, early in his career, freshman, sophomore, underclassman, when he would throw a pick, he would try to go, like, take the guy out. Like, like he would try to go light the dude up. And Mike had to, like, tell him, like, Spencer, you're our quarterback. If you can't get, you can't get hurt trying to tackle the guy. Like, be careful out there. Uh, he lead blocks for his running backs, like Blade just pointed out in the comments. And thanks for all our, our commenters. We got a lot – uh, still watching. So we're, we're going to keep going for a while here, as long as you want us to. Uh, let's talk about the receivers, Colby. You know, before the game, no Jaden Bray, huge loss. Um, no Braden Johnson. No Braden Johnson. His name just escaped me for a second. No Braden Johnson, who has by far and away been the best receiver this season for Oklahoma State. Certainly the best deep threat, which you've hit on a number of times, just what he can do for the offense by stretching the field. And you're sitting there going, this game might already be lost. How are they going to be? They can't. already can't run the ball very well. How are they going to be able to throw the football? I mean, Bryson Green is making the leap. You know, we always look at these young, highly touted receivers and what they could become. Could they become the next Thailand? Could they become the next, you know, whomever, the great receivers that have played Oklahoma State? Bryson Green's starting to make that leap, Colby. I mean, the, obviously the, the game ceiling touchdown was incredible, but just his size, his physicality, he's a tough cover on virtually every route, and I just could not be more impressed with Bryson Green and just in, in the way he played against Texas because he was held in check the week before at TCU. Carson, he's had one drop this year that stood out. It was on a, uh, a long pass play over the middle, just kind of a seam. Spencer put it right on him against Baylor. Uh, I think it was in the fourth quarter, and he dropped it, ended up having to punt the ball away. Aside from that one drop, I have been so blown away, just impressed by his hands throughout the season because he has made some difficult catches, even the game winner yesterday. I mean, that was a, a slant where the defensive back is on him. I mean, the dude's arm is around his stomach. He's got strong hands. He brings it in. And with that poor tackling from Texas, yes, it was an absolute joke from a Charmin soft football team that had no business. They just, they weren't going to win that game in the fourth quarter because they weren't tough enough. But that being said, strong hands at the point of the catch, spins out of that tackle, shakes the other dude. He's gone. And that, I mean, that's a guy you needed to step up. And he stepped up. Brendan was there with a big touchdown catch in the back of the end zone in the second half yesterday. And that was another throw from Spencer. And, and just speaking on his development, linebackers underneath that. And I think in years past, Spencer maybe would have tried to rifle that in there and just sling it to Brennan. And yesterday, he recognized the linebacker underneath. He knew the safety didn't have time to get over there. He just floated it over the top of the linebacker. It doesn't have to be a fastball. It's just the touch pass over the top was there, and it was beautiful. Uh, yes, he, he's come a long way. Bryson Green looks great. And Carson, Stephon Johnson, I mean, he looks like he could be a dude. The catch that he made coming over the middle, it, it was just a slant. Spencer overthrows him, really, and he jumps up. Skies, it's not even on, I'm not even on the screen anymore. Skies makes this catch as a guy's hitting him and then continues to run. He was so good over the middle of the field on those slants. He just, uh, he, he made a catch down the sideline late in that game that was unbelievable. Young talent 
at the receiver positions is all over the field right now for Oklahoma State. It's it's a position group that we were worried about whenever Tylen uh, moved on to the NFL. And apparently we shouldn't have been because Oklahoma State, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying this, Carson, they are loaded at receiver. Yeah, I mean, the Stephon Johnson really came out of nowhere a few weeks ago. Uh, was it the Arizona State game he first popped up? He only had like five catches coming into this game. But boy, do your eyebrows raise when he gets the ball in his hands. And even when I remember, I distinctly remember one of those inter, uh, pass interferences they called on Texas on him early in the game. The guy just tackles him and he kind of like jumped up really quick and like sputtered off, like sprinted off. It, it reminded me a lot of like, um, like James Washington. Remember how James had just had that was just that ball of energy. James Washington, yep. he'd, he'd jump up after catches and just like sprint away. Like it reminded me so much of him. And he's a guy who was he's from Houston, Stephon Johnson, was committed to Oregon, came came to Oklahoma State really late in the process from what I've gathered. And you can tell why he was committed to Oregon. Like he just has a di- he just looks different. Everything, his his running ability, his agility, his catching the ability, acceleration. His, the acceleration, the acceleration, acceleration, like whoo, is Casey Dunn getting it done at wide receiver? Are you kidding me? This kid, the Green Twins, uh, John Paul Richardson, who we need to talk about. I mean, Stephon Johnson, that was a star-making performance because Spencer was relying on him in key, huge situations, which, again, I think says so much about the program Mike Gundy's built that they can throw a freshman out there and rely on him in those moments. And uh, Stephon Johnson, Colby, that, that really was a star-making performance. But what do you think of John Paul Richardson? He's got that dog in him too, doesn't he? He does, man. It's all these guys. There's so many of them that are that way. And I guess part of that just comes with, uh, you know, so many lower level recruit guys who have to go out and prove that they are legit at this level. I mean, you get three-star guys in, they want to prove, Hey, I, I don't care what people thought of me coming out of high school. I'm a guy. I'm, I'm not, I'm that guy. And I mean, I just, I can't say enough. I already mentioned the throw from Spencer where he slung it over the middle and John Paul caught it in between two defenders. I mean, if, if I'm not mistaken, that was a third down play, maybe like a third and eight late in that game. These are This is the difference in winning and losing close games in the fourth quarter. These are the plays that Oklahoma State was making that Texas wasn't making. John Paul, in the first half, ball gets tipped on just a little out route, right? It's like second and eight. Ball gets tipped. John Paul Richardson brings it in with one hand, picks up, you know, gets him within a yard of the first down. They're able to pick it up easily on the next play. It's just there's so many little things that happen over the course of what was a four-hour and 15-minute game. Thank you, ABC. Thank you, replay officials. Four hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. But it's just, Carson, there's so many guys making so many big plays in key moments. It's situational football and – I just I can't say enough about all of them. I the the, the post game against TCU last week was tough because it's a game we knew Oklahoma State should have won and they squandered. But I think it offset because in the middle of the second quarter yesterday, it just didn't feel like Oklahoma State had enough to o- overtake the physicality and the size and strength and speed of Texas. And they did. It, w- it was a culture win and so many big plays throughout. And John Paul Richardson made a handful of them. He's just. He's just one of those dudes. You just throw his direction. He's going to catch it and pick up a couple extra yards that aren't there. And, you know, Jamison was talking to him the whole game. Richardson just kept making play on him, play on him. And that last huge catch he made on a key third down, he, he went up and flexed John Paul Richardson. Just final word, case closed. Jamison, go home. You can't cover this kid. He's better than you are, whether you like it or not. 
Um, the offense, what do you think about the offense? Uh, we'll get, we'll talk more about the offense and I do want to touch on Jason Taylor and, and the big plays he made, but one final thought on offense and then we'll talk Taylor and the defense and we'll get to bullets and BBs and your comments. So if you have any more questions, fire them off in the uh, comments section. There were a lot of times Colby that I wanted to see it more when they went to five wide, that NCAA Xbox offense I told you about with five wide Spencer back there, he can run it. Those to me, and they didn't pick up, you know, massive plays, but there was always someone wide open for at least four to five yards. I almost wanted to say just no huddle, John Moxon, varsity blues, five wide, no huddle. Let's go. They can't cover all the, there's too many receivers on the field for Texas to cover. I, I thought, I thought Casey Dunn really bad start. I did not like their game plan coming out. Nothing was Spencer was about to throw pick sixes to start all three for three of the first series with those flat passes to the sidelines. But I thought he really found a groove in the second half. What'd you think of uh, his play calling? Yeah, I just, Carson, we were, I think rightfully critical last week of the offensive staff of Gundy, of Casey Dunn, of the way that that game was managed on the offensive side of the football uh, late in the game. If we're going to be critical last week, we've got to be complimentary this week. It was a masterclass, I thought, especially in the second half uh, and really even maybe from the second quarter on. I thought the offense was really humming along pretty good. Uh, the rotation of the running backs, and obviously, uh, Richardson goes down. You hope that that's not a, a bad injury. I don't think that it is, uh, but I, I don't have any inside news to report. Jaden Nixon, Ollie Gordon looked great, but Carson, it was the variety and the creativity that we've been asking for. You know, it only went for two yards, but I sat in the end zone. I looked at my dad and I said, hey, I can't be mad at that play call. I've been asking for it all season. It was the jet sweep to Braylon. It was the jet sweep to Braylon, Carson. And Texas, look, Texas is fast. If there's one thing Texas is, it's fast. They might not be good. They might be losers. They can't win close games in the fourth quarter, but they are fast. So they, they tracked Braylon down on the jet sweep. They got out there and only went for two yards. But he was on the field. They were using him with some gadget-type stuff, just giving the defense another thing to defend. There was a run play. Carson, I've been talking about get creative in the run game. Make, them, make the defense think about one thing other than you just turning and handing it to Dominic Richardson and running in between the center and the right guard. Make them think about one more thing other than that. There was a play in the second half. They lined Braylon up wide right. They bring him in motion. As soon as he gets between Spencer and the center, they send him back out wide, take the snap, turn around, hand it off, run it up the middle. It was like six yards. And, and, and you weren't having to juke guys in the backfield. You want to know why? Because at least they were thinking about the fact all right, something could be happening here with Braylon. They've got their speedster in, their gadget guy. I thought the creativity in the run game was a lot better. The, the pass game, they used the slants across the middle of the field. They used the screen game, getting it out in the flats. They were running the goes down the sideline. They, they had the deep ball early in the game to Bryson Green. I just thought Texas struggled defensively in the second half of that game because Oklahoma State was just coming from every which direction with different formations, different play calls. I, I thought that it was a, a master class offensively in the second half from Casey Dunn. So as critical as I was last week and as poor of a job as I think that they did last week in the second half of that game, I think that they were just as great this week against Texas. Another play that was great that only went two yards was the, uh, the throwback pass to Spencer. I thought oh, Jay, it was make a throw, dude. Come on. And two things contributed to that not going to the house. One, it was a little rushed from the passer. Who who threw the pass? Was it Nixon? I think it was Nixon. I'm fairly certain it was Jaden Nixon. I'm not yeah. sure if you could tell on TV, but Nixon underthrew that by a good like 10 yards, and Spencer had to come back for it. If if Nixon throws it out over his shoulder, then Spencer's going to run for maybe not a touchdown, but he's going to run for a little bit. Well, and, and Nixon needed to sell it just 
a couple steps more out to the right to, 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 to draw those guys on the back end even further along. And you, so he, he went a little early with that. I didn't think it gave Spencer enough time to get even more to the sideline of OSU. It was about a, a beat or two off from being one of the greatest plays in OSU history because he had nothing but green grass to run with. And those Texas guys were lucky that they didn't sell it long enough because they were still in enough position to make the play. And then the underthrow, as, as you mentioned, really hampered it. But yeah, the creativity was, was great in the second half. I thought offense, defense, the way that the game played out, they give up three points, the way the offense produced, it was, again, you got to give Mike Gundy, Casey Dunn, and Derek Mason a ton of credit. I, let's talk about the defense before we get into bullets and BBs and the comments. Just what more can you say about Jason Taylor, man? We've, we've talked about him for so long. Jason Taylor, the, the playmaker, has the biggest nose for the football of any defensive player. I can remember, you know, uh, Broderick Brown was like that. The ball always seemed to find him in big moments. Uh, Markel Martin as well. But uh, Jason Taylor really, to me, Colby, putting a stamp as one of the better safeties to, to play at Oklahoma State. I mean, just Carson. an amazing couple of interceptions. I just some guys and you can't explain it. It's not something that you can coach. You, you can't predict when it's going to happen. Some guys just have a knack of being in the right place at the right time in the fourth quarter when the game's on the line. And how many times have we seen it from Jason Taylor in his career, even from whenever he was backing up Trey Sterling and, and Trey Sterling would go out for a week and then he comes in and scoops the scores at Kansas State. And, and then he has the pick six uh, against Texas. Was that last year? Two years. That was last year, I think. He had the pick last six year. against won Texas to the house. Yeah, one of the game. And he just, he, he's big play Jason Taylor. He's always there in the right moment. Now, I will say uh, his second interception, the one in the fourth quarter, it, he should have batted. He should have volleyball spiked it into the first first row. It was fourth down. It cost him 30 yards. Uh, they would have been in field goal range had he not caught it. They ran the ball three times for seven yards after that. It would have been like a 39, 40-yard field goal for Tanner Brown, and your defense wouldn't have had to go defend again. So he should have volleyball spiked that one into the front row. I get it. It's emotional. Big play, Jason Taylor. That, that's what he does. He goes and gets interceptions to end the game, right? I get why he caught it. Uh, I hope maybe they'll say something to him about, hey, fourth down, let's not cost ourselves 35 yards of field position because we caught a ball that we could have batted out of bounds. But that's just very, very much nitpicking. Uh, the play earlier in the game, I mean, Quinn Ewers threw it right to him, but he was ready. He never drops it. He, he was there on the outside with contain. I just – he deserves to be lauded for what he's done on the back end for Oklahoma State because we were worried uh, about the secondary a little bit. And having a veteran like that who just kind of sets the tone for all the young guys, it's just, I mean, I, I can't say enough about Jalen Taylor. He's been a special player on the defense for three three years now. Yeah, but boy, that injury looked rough. Uh, the early reports are he may have a hyperextended knee. We're definitely not going to find out <laughs> until – the next game because Gundy's been so, so tight-lipped on injuries. So he talked to Robert, though. Jason Taylor talked to Robert after the game last night. Uh, I, I love listening afterward because you, you get a, a little nuggets like this. He talked to Jason Taylor. Robert asked him about the injury. He said he came down on the, the interception. These are Jason Taylor's words. Came down on the in interception, and his foot just kind of got stuck. He said, again, adrenaline's running. I don't know what he felt like this morning. But he said last night after the big win with all the adrenaline pumping through his veins, uh, I'm okay is what he told Robert. I'm good. So, again, adrenaline pumping through the veins. Don't know what that means. He might have woke up this morning and felt like death and couldn't walk. But last night in the locker room, he told Robert he's good. So maybe, hopefully, fingers crossed, it's not as serious as maybe it looked initially. Boy, I hope so because it, it looked like a season ender at first glance. It looked really rough the way that his knee kind of bent the wrong way and 
went down immediately, had to be helped off. But yeah, he he's just one of those guys, man. Uh, he's he's been awesome, and not not just the interceptions too. He he made some key tackles, some key uh, pass breakups. He's just he was everywhere. And then of course, uh, Kendall Daniels seals it with the um, with the uh, game winning interception. Colby, I think I lost Colby. That kind of threw me off there. There he is. Uh, nope, I'm good. I was blowing my nose, so I went ahead and muted myself and stopped my video. Thank Figured you. Would appreciate that. Yep. I'm sure they do. <laughs> but Kendall Daniels, they sent him on some blitzes that got to Ewers. And just I think the pressure, Colby, and Kendall Daniels gets the, the interception in the game when didn't look great. I mean, the Texas had a chance to really tie the game there late. But just the pressure they, they got on Ewers all day really mounted. And I thought this stat was telling. You know, Ewers was bad on his own, Colby, but the defense has a lot to do with this. Quinn Ewers is, is one of only three quarterbacks since the year 2000 to attempt 49 passes or more in a game and complete less than 20. He was brutal, brutal. Now, some of that was him throwing it up into the fifth row, but a lot of it was the OSU defensive line getting after him. How, how about Carson right before the missed field goal uh, by the Texas kicker? I mean, Xavier Worthy's a really good receiver, and he won on his route, and he is wide open streaking into the east end zone of Boone Pickett Stadium. And what does Quinn Ewers do? Throws it 10 yards over his head out of bounds. I, I Big exhale for me. I'm not sure what it looked like on TV, but in person, it looked like Xavier Worthy had a bunch of space and all Quinn Ewers had to do was drop it in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the hype, I, I understand the hype because he plays for Texas and he had one great quarter against Alabama and he looked unreal in that one quarter against Alabama. Uh, Alabama's secondary may not be what it's been in years past. Uh, after we watched Hendon Hooker just go absolutely nuts on him and score more than half a hundred. So don't really know what to make of that. But Carson, we are now looking at a Texas team that is still getting too much respect nationally. We had a commenter uh, who was it to throw this out. I think it was Brian Giddings who threw it out there. He said, how about Texas getting the most votes in the country of any team outside the top 25 and Texas Tech who beat Texas, who has been better this year than Texas, has a better quality win, Tech gets zero votes. So Texas is still getting too much credit for the helmet logo. They've got no quality wins now on the season. They've lost two games in conference in which they led by double digits in the second half. They probably should have beaten Alabama, didn't. So they're a three-loss team in the middle of October, and they don't have any quality wins on their schedule. That's what they are. That's who they are. I don't give a damn what, what is on the side of their helmet. They are the same Texas team that they have been. They are soft. They do not have a winning culture. They, they, like you said, they're bickering with each other on the sidelines late in that game when things started to go wrong. When things were going wrong for Oklahoma State, what did they do? They banded together, they got tough, and they won the game. When things got tough for Texas, what did they do? They tucked tail and ran back to Austin. It just, yeah, the, uh, the national love from Texas needs to stop. I'm looking here. I think ESPN's foul football power index now uh, has them down to a 55% chance to make the playoff with their three losses. So uh, one or two might do it. It's basically a coin flip right now, whether they're a playoff team. Yeah. Can a three loss Texas make the college football playoff coming up next on uh, the SEC network? <laughs> uh, we'll cover three podcasts to decide whether Quinn Ewers could torch Alabama again in January. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys, they're great. Um, and the thing I hated most about it was like, well, well, if they had Quinn Ewers against Alabama, maybe we need to take that into account when we're, when we're t factoring in their two losses. Uh, that is such BS. And it can uh, go now because now they got smacked with Quinn. So that argument can go. 
and he was the reason they lost. I mean, I thought Hudson Card would have done better than that. And uh, so, but will that will those same people, Colby? Will those same folks who ripped OSU's defense facing this Baron Morton, this third string quarterback for Tech? Oh, did you see what he did to West Virginia yesterday? How about three hundred and twenty-five yards, two touchdowns? They won forty-eight to ten. Texas Tech is a completely different team now with Morton at quarterback than they were with Donovan Smith. Will these talking heads when the college football playoff show comes around, will they acknowledge that? Or will they just assume, ah, they played that Donovan Smith guy. They'll just look at the box score, total yards, not look at the fact they've played 104 plays. I'm curious with it, with this Quinn Ewers logic, will it, will it double over into the Morton logic on when they're evaluating Oklahoma state's resume? I highly doubt it. Uh, no, I, I can tell you with certainty, no, it will not. It's just the national narrative is so predictable. So, so, so predictable. Um, no, it won't. Oklahoma State will continue to not get the respect they deserve. But we did have a, a question earlier, uh, and it was way up in the chat. So I apologize that I can't throw your name out. But basically just asking about college football uh, playoff. And uh, does Oklahoma State still have a chance to make the college football playoff? Uh, it's just TJ is what it says on here. Do you guys think Oklahoma State has a chance to make the playoffs? I would say yes, they have a chance. But here's what Oklahoma State has to do because they do not excel in the HL metric. So Oklahoma State has to win out. I think they're probably going to need help too because a bunch of the names keep winning. I mean, Ohio State and Michigan still undefeated. You could run into a scenario where Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee all in the season with one loss and only one of the three is the conference champion, but then the committee feels like the others deserved it. Uh, Clemson hasn't lost yet. You know, I just TCU hasn't lost yet again, but that, that assumes Oklahoma State runs the table and would beat TCU in the Big 12 championship because that's the only way that they get in. So I, I think the chance exists, Carson. Uh, I think the more realistic goal I think to focus on right now is Big 12 championship because you control your own destiny there. I still think some dominoes would have to fall for Oklahoma State to get into the college football playoff. Well, I think as it stands now, they have a much clearer path than they had last year. And I do think if they had beaten Baylor, they were getting in over Cincinnati. There's no question about that. There's that's not even an argument. And I think the path is much clearer here, Cole, because you don't have the undefeated Notre Dame to contend with that you had for much of the season last year. Uh, Georgia and Alabama, both, while still dominant, not as dominant as they were last year. You can't just automatically write them in for, you know, meeting in the SEC championship game at undefeated. Um, Clemson, still undefeated, not a cinch as they've been in years past, clearly. So I do think the path for Oklahoma State is much clearer than it was even last year when I thought they would have gotten in. So my, my optimism for the playoff, just on, in terms of the hurdles to get over with the HL metric, the helmet logo metric, is way less concerning for me this year than it was last year. What do you, what do you think about that? Here, here's my biggest concern. My biggest concern is that we run into a scenario in the SEC where Alabama does run the table. And I don't know if they will. I don't think they're as good as they've been in years past. But let's say Alabama runs the table. Georgia beats Tennessee in the regular season. Those two teams still have to play. And then Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship. So now we've got a scenario where Alabama has beaten Georgia. Georgia has beaten Tennessee. Tennessee has beaten Alabama. All three teams have just the one loss. So Carson, because Oklahoma State gets so little respect nationally, I could see that committee sitting there and saying, we cannot put Oklahoma State against any of these three teams because they all played in the SEC. They all beat each other. They played a tougher schedule. They've got higher-ranked recruiting classes. They've got more money. It's SEC. We'll get higher ratings. I just 
that is the nightmare scenario that worries me where the committee looks at three one-loss SEC teams and likes all of them more than they like a one-loss Oklahoma State team. Yeah, that's certainly a concern. And I'm, I'm sorry, I disagree with Blade Jay. He says he doesn't know if OSU would have gotten in after winning the Big 12 last year. Like, they did not want to put Cincinnati in. And that's before you factor in another win over Baylor, who was ranked, what were they, Colby? Like, top five in the country at that point? Top six? Uh, top, yeah, it's somewhere top 10? in the Maybe they might have been 10th. Tenth, tenth I think in the country. back into the top 10, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the resumes weren't close. They weren't. Like, <laughs> Cincinnati damn near lost to Tulsa. So maybe OSU did that year too. <laughs> maybe that's a bad thing. Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe we shouldn't dog a team by saying they almost lost yeah, to Tulsa. Tulsa's a tough out, man. They only got, they, did you see that out. stat on Tulsa? They have 31 every, for every student, or sorry, for every 31 students, at least one of them is a football player. That's how small their oh enrollment is. They only have 3,000 students at Tulsa. So it's amazing they're the little engine that could. Okay, let's get to, uh, what, we'll try to answer more questions, Coley. Let's get to bullets and BBs and then our uniform uh, review, and then we'll, we'll answer as many comments and, and get on out of here. Uh, first bullet on the night for you uh, from Oklahoma State, Texas. Yeah, I mean, there's several. It was, it was a great game. I've got to give it to Spencer. Just the over and over again toughness just will not come off the field. Um, man, he's special. He's special. They all follow his lead. I, I don't think that we make enough. Of, we talk about the culture and the culture that Gundy's built. Spencer is a huge part of that. And, and Gundy talked about that last night on the radio. The other guys watch what he's doing, and there's so much. And, and Gundy was saying this last night. There's so much that they don't have to coach, and they don't have to tell guys to do. They don't have to tell guys to play hard. They don't have to tell them to be tough. They don't have to tell them to be physical and, and, and seek contact and all these things that, that make you wear your opponent down for four quarters. They don't have to coach that stuff because the other guys just watch Spencer do it, and they all follow his lead. So – the, the stats, the box score, all that stuff, uh, I mean, he looked good there. He slung it all over the field. But when, when you compare and contrast the quarterback performance that Oklahoma State got yesterday with the one Texas got yesterday, I mean, that's, that's just – it's a monumental difference in that game. Uh, can't say enough about how he's grown in his career at Oklahoma State. So, uh, for all the aforementioned reasons, Spencer Sanders gets my first bullet. Yeah, that's a great one. I hope he's got a nice ice bath today to, to kind of – heal up for for next week because they got a tough one going against Kansas State. We'll have a full preview on that. Uh, a lot of guys we've mentioned, I, I wanted to give one to Bryson Green, Stephon Johnson, those guys that really stepped up on offense. Uh, you know, Trace Ford we've mentioned. I want to go with a guy we haven't talked about yet, uh, Mason Cobb. I mean, his stat line's not amazing. Seven tackles, one tackle for loss, four assisted tackles. He is such a good linebacker. There was one play that really sticks out in my mind before I get to the one that really sticks out of my mind, he there was a play, Colby, I don't know if you remember it being in the stadium, where he starts calling out, starts pointing at the running back, like calling it out, and then just goes and has the tackle for loss on, on B. John. He called the play they were running, ran and made the play behind the line of scrimmage. That was his tackle for loss. That is excellent. Is that the one where he, where he stood him up like face mask to face mask and just drove him back? Yeah, and then another guy kind of came, came with him and yep. kind of tipped him over. Uh, Mason Cobb is... I think a first team all big 12 linebacker. He may not have like the total tackles and things that people just look at on a stat sheet, but he's become somewhat the heartbeat of the defense with his calls, his reads, uh, you know, Dusty Dvorak on the call kept referencing how much he learned from Malcolm Rodriguez. He kind of looks like Malcolm out there, just a shorter guy, stocky, doesn't miss tackles. Uh, could not have been more impressed with him. And if Texas doesn't have that false start Colby, 
we're talking about his his pick six to seal the game 25, 30, 40, 50 years from now. I mean, he got robbed of one of the great moments in OSU history because that Texas uh, Sanders couldn't couldn't quit uh, moving before the snap. Yeah, it was uh, – I, I saw him move. I saw the flag come out, but you couldn't hear the whistle, Carson. It was loud. Nobody could hear the whistle. So he takes the snap and he throws it out to Mason Cobb, and I look to my right, and my mom and sister are celebrating this iconic moment in Oklahoma State football history, and I'm trying to wave them off before they get too excited because I know that they've already stopped the play. I know it doesn't count. Uh, I really wish it would have. Uh, I know we, we, we haven't switched to BBs yet, but another bullet, Carson, the, the crowd, the atmosphere – my God, for a non-Bedlam game, it doesn't get any better than that. Gundy talked about it after the game. You looked around that stadium, Carson, 10 minutes before kickoff. It was packed, packed on a, a hot Saturday uh, in Stillwater. It was just an unreal college atmosphere. I would say for a day game, I don't remember a day game with a better atmosphere in Boone Pickens Stadium. We've got them at night because those night games, it gets rowdy. Some Bedlam games. Uh, you remember the Baylor game with RG3. Hell, the Baylor game with Bryce Petty. But that game yesterday for 2.30 in the afternoon, that crowd was raucous for four and a half hours. Uh, very impressed at the atmosphere that Oklahoma State put out yesterday. 20 recruits were in the stands. 15 of them have offers. Yeah, big time. Did you see Stanford's crowd by chance? Uh, I looked for it. Couldn't find it. Yeah, it it's on Twitter and it's it's jarring at how no one is at those games on the West Coast. But I'm really glad you brought this up because I, I did want to talk about it. You know, Mike has said for years what a big time environment they've started to create at Boone Pickens Stadium, and it's it's been building. You know, the Bedlam game last year I thought certainly was an exclamation point. They've now won what is it now 13, 13 straight home games. The, the way the fans are so close to the field, the, the home field advantage is real there. And I think more than anything, Colby, it's an illustration of what type of football program Oklahoma State has become. It, it, it doesn't happen overnight. You don't get sellouts three straight games in Stillwater, which is a stadium they've really struggled to sell out for years, ever since they built it, ever since they re, re, renovated it. It's a, it's a statement of fact that Oklahoma State is a big-time football program. And they have the resume to back that up. But when you have an environment like that going as crazy as it was, it just further cements, in my mind, Oklahoma State's status to the rest of the country. Because I've been to, I've covered a ton of games in Norman. Some of that is, you know, they have 85,000 every game. It's not even close in terms of which one is, is louder, more rowdy. That's going to fire some people up. It's just a fact. That's an that's an unbiased observation. I went. I don't know. I don't know that that'll fire a bunch of people up. I I think that that's. I think that's almost an understood statement of fact in this state. I I don't think OU fans have a false bravado about what their home field advantage is and how rowdy their crowd is. I would hope not, because they're not. And I've been to a lot of stadiums around the country, and some of that's their schedule. Their biggest game year in year out, Texas, is at neutral site, and then they're playing West Virginia's of the world, Kansas, occasionally Bedlam. But Oklahoma State, man, that that was that was amazing, and I it's just it's so cool for me, guys like me and Kyle, who were going to you know Mike's first year, the, the latter half of Les's year, going to that old Relic Stadium, thinking you know I just, field, baby. I just hope we get bowl eligible, man. That used to be like a celebration. I distinctly remember a win against Baylor early in Mike's tenure where they rolled their football helmets like bowling balls to celebrate after the game because it was such a big deal to be bowl eligible. That crowd, that environment, it it backs up 
everything that Mike's built. And it's, it's tremendous. And it looked awesome on, on TV. Uh, BBs, you got a BB for me? Uh, BBs, BBs were hard to find yesterday. Um, I, I will go with just the overall Carson, the centers that have rotated through, they've done a good job. They've done a good job in protection. It hasn't been a disaster, like a, a complete disaster running the ball or keeping Spencer upright. But Carson, I, I can't wrap my mind around the three to five high snaps per game that Spencer has had to wrangle down three weeks in a row, Carson, three weeks in a row. You've been without your center and we've still got our quarterback leaping to catch snaps. It, it has not seriously burned them yet. It almost did yesterday because if Spencer does not tip the high one on the goal line to himself, make a man miss and get out to the three or four yard line. I mean, if he doesn't tip that to himself and then corral it, that easily could have been a scoop and score for Texas. I believe it would have made it 38-24. So, uh, again, we're nitpicking. You're snapping the ball, what, 80, 90 times, and three to five go over your quarterback's head? But, man, that's a bunch. And those those can be disaster plays that can lose you a football game, and there was almost one of them yesterday in the second half. So, uh, on a day when there were way more bullets than BBs, I I will give the BBs to the high snaps. Mahalski played pretty good. He did. He did play pretty well, which is, which is why she on the goal line. I feel bad giving him a, a BB. I do because I thought he played pretty well. I just, I Those think he's been disasters. The, I think he's doing the hard things really well, which are moving 300 pound behemoths out of the way. So you can run the ball into the end zone. It seems to me like the easy part would be just slinging it four yards back to your quarterback. So doing the hard things. Well, let's do the easy thing. Well, and let's do it every single time. I, I have no doubt that they are working tirelessly on this at practice to make sure that you don't have a disaster play cost you a game in conference play. Uh, but yeah, you just let's, let's get those high snap numbers down just a little bit. Got a joint BB slash bullet. The BB goes to the big 10 conference. Once again, the bullet goes to Jackson Sykes, who was the kid in the student section with the Iowa sucks poster, which Again, my phone just erupted during that. And I, I really wish it would have been one of our listeners because as Marshall put it, I'm building a cult basically, <laughs> which I thought was so great. And then you just go look at Iowa. They, they, they scored 10 points against Ohio State. And Ohio State's better defensively under Jim Knowles, but they're, they're not great. And let me see their, their total yardage for Iowa. I'm pulling that up. It is uh, 158. Colby. Wow. 158 they, must have, uh, they must have had some chunk plays. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and so, and the reason the entire Big Ten is the, is the BB, not just Iowa, is this is what gets after under my skin so much is now you look at the scores here. So Penn State whoops up on a wildly overrated Minnesota team who hadn't played anybody. They beat Minnesota 45 to 17. Penn State has done nothing zero to be ranked 16th in the country. And now they get to play this horrible, pathetic, putrid Minnesota team. And now they're going to get vaulted up. Oh, what a dominant win over a Minnesota team who at one time was ranked because they hadn't played anybody, but at one time was ranked. You got Rutgers beating Indiana 24 to 17. You got Wisconsin, a School just fired their coach, beating Purdue. You got Maryland beating Northwestern. This conference is garbage. So now watch. 
Ohio State, further blown into the stratosphere as the best team in the country. And now you got Penn State, who people are now, Colby, with just one loss, are going to start comparing to Oklahoma State. And that, to me, is asinine. Oklahoma State went to Waco and won. Big-time win. Just beat Texas on their home field. Big-time win. What has Penn State done besides lose to the only team they've played? And and you mentioned it earlier. You mentioned it earlier. The look to te- the win against Texas Tech is going to continue to look better throughout the season. I'm convinced of it. It's a good Tech team. The Baron Morton kid can play. He can really play. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that win is going to continue and continue to look better. Uh, Carson, another bullet. Coaching staff across the board for Oklahoma State. I-, I thought that you could see what Mike Gundy has built in the way the team was tough and resilient and didn't let it get away from them when it could have gotten away from them. And then, I mean, Casey Dunn and Derek Mason, that second half, Carson, was just, it was a masterclass on both sides of the ball. Oklahoma State was marching up and down the field from about the middle of the third quarter on. It's like Texas had a 10-point lead in the third quarter, and it got erased so fast. And Oklahoma State went up seven. I mean, once once you got the stop and Texas had to punt it back away late, it was just... It was huge. Also, there's one more play, and I want to throw this out. I should have done it when I was talking about Spencer. Uh, so I'm going to circle back to my Spencer bullet. There was a play in the fourth quarter. Tie game. You're tied at 34. You, you've got to go make plays to win the game, right? Third and 11, eight minutes left or something like that. Third and 11. Spencer Sanders drops back, rolls right. You need to make a play at this point to win the game. He's rolling right, and there's nothing there. Blanket coverage on the back end. Spencer Sanders, a year, two, three years ago, what's he do? He tries to force that into coverage. He tries to force the hero play when it's not there. What does he do yesterday? He slings it into the third row. He lets the defense come out, hold Texas to a field goal, which they miss. Then he comes out, live to fight another down. They go make big plays. The, the, again, the development, the maturity from Spencer Sanders to say, look, I know we're going to have to punt, but that's a hell of a lot better than a pick six. That, that development was great. But, yeah, the coaches in the second half, uh, Dunn, Mason, it was a, a master class. Um, Texas didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do offensively. They were shook. Defensively, they were they couldn't cover, couldn't tackle. Uh, yeah, coaching staff all around. Well done. Yeah, it's a great point on the the throwaway by Sanders because that as you were talking, I thought back to that pick he had to end the first half against Oklahoma and Bedlam, just trying to press the issue, wanting to get a score before halftime, making a throw that's not there. That's that progression you and I have talked about so much on this show. That's a great point. Uh, you make about the the throwaway. We were getting a lot of questions about the uh, the Big Twelve Championship. Uh, Orange ninety seven two two eight says, uh, "Unbeaten TCU versus us in the championship game is definitely ideal. I'll be rooting for them." Colby, I, I kind of agree. Don't you? At this point, don't you just want TCU to win out so you're not in some weird three uh, three way tie scenario? Not only that, I want TCU to win out uh, because if Oklahoma State and TCU win both win all their games between now and the Big Twelve Championship. I mean, that game's going to be, what, four versus six, four versus seven, somewhere in that neighborhood. All of a sudden, TCU and Oklahoma State both winning out elevates that game into another stratosphere nationally. You have the higher rank, less losses, college football playoff implications on the line. And I think, again, we talked about it earlier with what's going on in the SEC and I don't, the Michigan-Ohio State thing's weird. Clemson, yes, they're barely sneaking by, but they could run the table. And if they do, they're definitely getting in. And if they if they go undefeated, if they go 13-0, and they deserve to be in. You know, whatever. You go 13-0 in Power 5, you deserve to be in. But if Oklahoma State can beat a top-5 TCU undefeated TCU team in the Big 12 championship game, that would be an insane resume booster to get them into the college football playoff. And then, kind of like Kyle said whenever he was on with us earlier, you just never know. 
Do we think Oklahoma State would beat Alabama? No, probably not. I think they're probably a two-touchdown underdog in that game, and a lot of things would have to go right for them to win it. But guess what? Texas almost beat them. You just beat Texas. Transitive property doesn't always really work, but I think that uh, people sleep on Oklahoma State a little bit. So, yes, I want TCU to win out. Uh, I will be wearing uh, my, my high school colors were purple, so maybe I've still got some in the closet I can dig out and wear over the next six weeks. Speaking of purple, they go to Kansas State next week. Uh, they lost their quarterback, Martinez, for most of the game against TCU. I'm not sure his status. That'll be a big lost, question. Lost their backup, too. They lost Will Howard as well? That's right. I didn't get to finish watching the end of that game. Uh, yeah, he, he got knocked out, too. I'm not sure how severe either of the injuries are. I don't think we ever even got really any clarity on what happened with Adrian Martinez. Yeah. I was searching his name earlier on Twitter, trying to figure out what happened to Adrian Martinez. Uh, I don't know. It, it does provide some uncertainty as you prefer, prepare for Kansas State throughout the week, but at least it's not like a Texas Tech situation where you prepare for Donovan Smith all week and then they throw Baron Morton at you and he torches you a little bit. I think Oklahoma State will prepare for a few different quarterbacks uh, and be ready for whoever Kansas State runs out there on Saturday. Uh, Nick Chabot, Chabot, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Can we address our punt protection problems? That's first time in a long time, Colby. We haven't mentioned the special teams. I wish he was really outplayed on special Maybe. teams. I thought, what's that? Uh, BB, special teams, BB. Yeah, and a lot of that had to do with lack of protection. I thought you got to give Texas credit on on some of those, the, the block punt, the way they were able to rush Tom Hutton effectively. Some of it, too. I didn't think Hutton had a great game punting the ones he he had. He had some real opportunities to pin them deep. The one going back into the sun once half the stadium was in shade, they landed right on the goal line and out of bounds. He wasn't his usual self, and that that I thought really helped out Texas uh, staying in the game in the second half. Yeah, we talked about it in the stands. When you punt from your opponent's forty-three yard line on fourth and three, you look like a genius when you pin them at the one. When it goes in the end zone. You, you kind of look like a jackal, if we're being honest, because now you've got a 23-yard punt uh, in a game that you need to win. But, uh, again, that's what he does, and they've been very successful with it because Tom Hutton has been really good, elite, at pinning teams inside the 10-yard line. It was very windy yesterday. Don't hold that against him too much. But, I mean, there were a couple of special teams disaster plays in that game. The block punt, you just you can't give up block punts. You, you've got to have I, – I don't know if you need – Another gunner coming down inside. Uh, they were not covering the gunners really a ton yesterday. Uh, there were options for fake punts that were there. Never went to that well. Didn't end up needing it, uh, which was good. But, yeah, the punt protection was not good. Tanner Brown, I I love Tanner Brown. I'm not, I'm not even really trying to be harsh on Tanner Brown. It was a 48-yard field goal in a 20-mile-an-hour left-to-right crosswind, and he missed it by about four inches. So he's not perfect. He's a human being. That's a tough Tough kick. Uh, I did think even watching him in warmups before the game and at halftime, I thought he was more comfortable going toward Gallagher-Iba. Right-footed kicker, right-to-left win. Kind of just let him put it out there and let it just baby draw into the middle of the uprights. Even in the warmups, he was missing some more uh, coming to the west end zone, I thought, because that left-to-right win uh, just, just wasn't doing it for him. So, uh, yeah, those were disaster plays. But then also, Carson, Brennan. I, I love me some Brennan. He's been so great on punt returns. Either catch it or don't. You can't be in no man's land. If at any point you are a punt returner and a ball lands in between your legs, you have made a big, big mistake. So, yeah, special teams all around kind of took a day off yesterday. You survived it. You still got the win. Just go make one or two little tweaks. It's nothing major. There wasn't anything that I think is a red flag going forward the rest of the season. Just some weird plays went against you. Uh, the ball didn't even touch Brennan, but you don't get it overturned in replay. Uh, but, yeah, special teams – 
the the elite unit that we've seen was just okay yesterday. Yeah, and Brennan got too close to another punt after the fiasco of the the muff no muff earlier. It was just just if you're not gonna catch it, just get out of the way. Just get get twenty yards from it, man. I know you're trying to convince the guys you're gonna catch it and all that, those things, but. Uh, Brennan was great on offense, though. Uh, he he had a huge catch down the sideline where he broke a tackle. And you and I have been asking for Brennan to get more involved. I thought they did a really good job uh, getting him the football. Um, we're going to answer a few more questions, but let's get to the Chris's University. I forgot Chris's again off the top oh. of the show when I do these live shows. Everybody so, go to Chris's. Support the people who support us. I didn't do the ad read at the beginning, did I? Uh, I can't remember. We'll dub it in later. That was like two hours ago, so it's it's there's a good reason you don't remember. But – Thanks to Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. I'm sure they got cleaned out. Oh, we got a dog appearance on the show. Colby's dog making a, an appearance on the live broadcast if you're watching. But we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast. It's time for the uniform review. Credit to Justin Southwell, friend of the pod, friend of PFB. He he nailed the bucking bronc helmet. Uh, and he, he nailed the fact it was going to be orange. He went orange, orange, white. They went all orange with it. Uh, I don't know if he has inside intel still. He might, but he nailed it. And uh, I thought it looked great, Colby. And I think for homecoming, if there's ever a time to wear all orange, it's homecoming. So I, it's not my favorite look, but hell, homecoming, I, I thought it looked great with the uh, the Bucking Bronc helmet on it. See, I, I thought it was elite. I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was head over heels in love with the Bucking Bronc and the all orange. I thought they looked slick. Uh, one of our listeners, Tyler Wheat, sits in our section at, at the stadium, just a, a couple rows in front of me, and we always get together at halftime and talk about the game. And I said, you know, I think with lesser uniforms on, we're probably down by more than a touchdown at halftime. I think the uniforms are giving them a little bit of extra motivation uh, to play well and overcome some of the adversity that they're facing today. I thought that they looked slick, slick, slick. Uh, I love the Bucky Bronco logo. I don't know why. It's just, for whatever reason, sometimes you, you see one that, that you like more than others. Uh, it might even... Curse of Cowboys 1, 1988... OSU insignia two, and then Bucking Bronco might fall in at three for me ahead of Patriot Pete. So I'm I'm a Bucking Bronco guy. I, it's too synonymous with Wyoming for me now. It just it looks Fair like enough. Wyoming's helmet, even though they jacked it from from us, just like Swinging Pete and Pistol Pete and all that. I just I love the Curse of Cowboys too much. It just looks so clean, and, it, and that's weird for me to admit because I've always hated Florida's helmets with the Curse of Gators on it. I always thought that was kind of weak when you got that cool Gator logo that they have they could put on there. Uh, but I love the Curse of Cowboys. I my dad would be remiss if I didn't say give me the brand, pointing in the right direction there. I like the brand as well. Um, but no, I, the Bucking Broncos are great, and just. It's the little things that matter, Colby. The the old school OSU diagonally that, that they wore in homecoming in 2015, I believe, uh, with the go pokes and then the Okla State on the back for the old school look. It's the, it's the fine details that uh, Justin Williams and the equipment staff at Oklahoma State do so, so well. Yeah, and somebody just asked, uh, none of me yet, says, will we ever go back to a set uniform? No, I don't think so. Why would you? Uh, I don't think you can at this point because it's become such a branding thing. It's become synonymous with Oklahoma state. And I, I still kind of like that. They don't reveal it until, you know, the first guys run out there and they tweet it out. I, I do think they would get way more national attention like other schools do if they released it in the week leading up to the game on Saturday. 
but I do like the intrigue, Colby, kind of waiting. Okay, we're almost two hours till kick. We get to see what they're wearing, see if it's a new helmet. I, I kind of like that. It's like Christmas Day, getting to see what the uniform's going to be. Yeah, it's, uh, we've got some commenters right now talking about Texas A&M at three and four and need to be ragged on. Here's what we need to do, Carson. Every year in college football playoff, we need to have an honorary helmet logo slash recruiting rankings slash NIL money playoff. And we can put the teams who think that they're elite because they have high recruiting rankings and a bunch of money, we can put them in this playoff. So we can put Texas A&M in this playoff. We can put Texas in this playoff. Those would be the most obvious candidates, I think. I'm trying to think who else maybe should be there. Um, there's got to be Miami. Let's throw Miami of Florida in there with all the money that they're throwing around. Miami gets USC, a spot. Did you say USC? I didn't because I actually I think USC's good. So I, I don't think I they're don't. great, but I think that they're – they I know, but I, I mean, I think they're a good deal better than A&M, Texas, or Miami. So I don't, I don't, oh, I don't yeah, that's, I agree with that. I'm just trying sure. to find a fourth to lump in with those three. Uh, I don't know that there is a fourth that's, that's good to lump in with those three. Yeah, Notre Dame's pretty terrible as orange. Oh, you nailed it. Eight points out. Notre Dame. That's our fourth. So we'll have Notre Dame, Miami, Texas A&M and Texas. Y'all get to play in the big spenders, uh, underperformers bowl. College yeah, and Penn State wow. and Penn State's waiting in the bullpen for you as well. <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. A few more questions. I, I like this one because it wasn't uh, a traditional one. Uh, no name yet, which I think you pronounced as an actual word, which was funny. <laughs> was oh, like, is that no what that is? Yet? No name yet? Yeah. Wow. I said no to <laughs> my head. No, no, no me yet? <laughs> he, uh, oh, I love doing said, it live. He says questions that's not game specific. At what age do you become an do you become an olds? I can Ooh. answer this because I'm older than Colby. I think it's after you hit 35 is when the threshold begins. And I think it really starts Colby when you go to a football game or, you know, concert or whatever it is. And people who are in college, you think they're dressed like aliens. Like what are these people wearing? I don't understand even what they're trying to accomplish with their out. People actually wear this seriously in public. I think that makes me an old because I have no idea when I see college kids anymore what look they're trying to pull off. You got dudes wearing like John Stockton uh, high shorts with like dad socks and like a long sleeve baggy shirt. You got girls wearing bell bottoms, like 70s bell bottoms. Like those are back apparently unbeknownst to me. So I am definitely an old. That, I think that's where I started to realize it on a non-football sense. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know that I'm there in all capacities yet. I've certainly felt that way more. So now since having a daughter, I, I have felt much older, um, at walk around Friday night, I thought all the college kids looked like babies. Um, I did think that most of what they were wearing was just atrocious, just the loose baggy jeans, uh, super short shorts, uh, on the guys, one inch inseam, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't think that I'm there yet. I think I'm on the pathway. I think mid-30s is probably a good call. I, I think once you hit 40, I, I think that you definitely at that point have to start complaining about young people. I, I think once you're complaining about young people on a regular basis instead of just intermittently, then I think that that's when you're classified as an old. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Uh, final thoughts, Colby? I'll go, and then you can go, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Uh, or why don't you go first, then I'll go, and then you can wrap us up. Uh, yeah, final, yeah. final thoughts for me, Carson. It's Dave Hunziker wrapped it up at the end of the broadcast last night. It, it's a team with a winning culture and a team without one. And 
it just what Mike Gundy has built the foundation. It's like we talk about A&M and Miami and Notre Dame and Texas and these schools. And what they're trying to do is take a bunch of money and put their team in a microwave and heat it up for 30 seconds to win a national championship. And what Mike Gundy has done is built a foundation. I mean, he's taken to, to stick with the kitchen recipe, an elaborate uh, recipe, the, the kitchen metaphor. He's taken an elaborate recipe and he has just crafted it over time. And the result is a team and a program that is tough, that believes in itself, that plays with confidence, that doesn't care if the guy on the other side runs a 4-4-2 and I run a 4-5-1. That, that stuff doesn't matter when Texas comes to Stillwater. Oklahoma State's beating Texas up, Carson. My entire adult life, Oklahoma State's beating Texas up. There are kids, Carson, that were born in 2004, right? So they would have been five the last time Texas went to the national championship game. So if you're born in 2004, you're turning 18 now, you're deciding where you want to go to college, those kids don't remember a time where Texas was a remotely close football program to Oklahoma State. And it's just amazing. Kyle talked about it with the 05 game. From then to now, Oklahoma State's just been a drastically better football program than Texas. And so much of that doesn't make sense whenever you just look at it in a vacuum of the money and the recruiting classes and all that stuff. But when you look at Texas just trying to put it in a microwave and pay a bunch of dudes and have them all transfer in on one year and win a national championship, Oklahoma State's building year after year after year. And the result is what we saw yesterday. Uh, just so impressed. And Carson, I was, I was proud to be an Oklahoma State football fan yesterday. The atmosphere, the resiliency, I was proud to be an Oklahoma State football fan yesterday. Uh, it, it's a good time to be an OSU football fan. And that's kind of where my thought, final thoughts go as well. I mentioned on the, the start of the show, all those collapses in 04, 05. The 07 one was probably the worst, up 35 to 14, giving up 24 straight points to, uh, to Texas and Colt McCoy and Jamal Charles and those guys. Walking out of that stadium that day as a student, it felt like OSU would never be on the same playing field as Texas. They just had too many resources, too many good recruits, too many better players. And, you know, maybe one year you'd luck out and beat them, but you certainly weren't going to be a better football program. And the way they won the game on Saturday is a further, it further cements the status that Oklahoma State's the better football program than Texas. It's one of the best in the country. And it was on full display. And, and like I mentioned with Kyle, like I, I get riled up about recruiting rankings. I think Mike could do better. But the proof's in the pudding. The guy wins football games. All those programs that are floundering you mentioned would love to have Mike Gundy. But you do look at, in cases, Spencer Sanders, four-star, Mr. Texas football. Kendall Daniels, legit four-star, making plays everywhere. Ollie Gordon, legit four. He's getting enough of those difference makers in, in pockets to where you're, you're beating a Texas, even when you've got true freshmen playing all over the field. Because the fact they were able to play this many true freshmen and have this many starters out and then lose some along the way throughout the game and still win, for someone like me that was in school when Mike took over, that just wasn't even a figment of our imagination. You lose one starter at OSU, it's going to be shaky back when I was in school. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of, of what Mike's done. And, and the program's come such a long way under his guidance. And and I've long wondered what it would look like if a new coach got in that could younger, could recruit. But now I'm I'm terrified of that notion. I don't, don't want to know what it would look possible. like. I do I'm not terrified of it. Look like. Yeah. And and as disappointing as that TCU loss was, 
it's all right in front of them, just like it was last year. It's all right in front of you. You're going to need some help. You're going to have to keep winning games, and you're going to have to figure out a way to run the ball better. We, don't, we know all those things. But this season's still right in front of them, and they could, they could do some really big things, and, and that's certainly exciting. And we got a big one up in Manhattan next week, Colby. You and I will break it down. But uh, I yeah. turn it over to you, and this has been fun. Yeah, it has been. A lot of fun recapping a win. We appreciate everybody staying with us. Uh, been a bunch of people on all day for nearly two hours with us. So uh, we love doing this because uh, y'all are watching, y'all are listening. Uh, so, yeah, great weekend to be an Oklahoma State fan. Homecoming was a blast. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, we're back later in the week to talk Oklahoma State, Kansas State. Maybe we'll have some more clarity on their quarterback situation by that point. Everyone have a good week. Go Pokes! <laughs>